Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. May is this new theme that we uh, are starting, and it says the life of faith isn't a spectator sport. You know, a lot of people think that church is about religion. It's not about religion. It's about a genuine, vital relationship between God and people, individually and corporately. It's all about relationship. And so um, we're talking all this month, and you're going to get the team. We have a deep bench here, by the way, get in the game. We have a deep bench. Every May since the 25th anniversary six years ago, our team has encouraged us to take the month of May off. Now, last year, we obviously didn't get to do it because of COVID. But uh, so we're going to be on sabbatical for the month starting tomorrow. We're excited about that. Next week is Mother's Day. Great time to bring somebody with you to church. And um, uh, we've got our team up and then Pastor Genia. So we've got five Sundays. You've got four more after this. And you're going to hear from different people on the same type of thought. And it's going to be very, very powerful, I promise you. Okay. Uh, we're going to 2 Kings chapter 7 for our text today. How many know that even when uh, a nation that God is in and honored, even when a nation is in trouble, uh, God never backs down, never backs away, never leaves, never lifts his presence because he's faithful to keep covenant. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, there's this horrible famine that hits the land, it is, and it's devastating. I mean, I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. But it's, the famine is so badly that there's no food. And it's, people are doing, you know, desperate people do desperate things, and so there's, they're in a situation where they're just needing to find a way to feed their families and eat. And in the height of it, at the worst moment of it, Elisha, the man of the double portion, comes on the scene And he's hearing everybody crying and moaning and groaning and crying out to God. And he prophesies in 2 Kings chapter 7, the famine is over. He said, about this time tomorrow, there's going to be a breakthrough. Everybody say breakthrough. He said, about this time tomorrow, there's going to be a breakthrough. There's going to be, he said, God is going to rend the heavens and he's going to pour out his spirit, and there's going to be abundance. And the people can't imagine it because they've been hungry for so long. They're starving. They're watching their kids without food, and parents are sacrificing for their kids. Some aren't. He said, there's plenty that's on the way. But what I'm going to talk about today is how the miracle manifested, because that's the big story right there. How does God shift a nation in 24 hours that's so destitute, that's so desperate. How can he shift it? Must take some great leader, some great politician, some great talker, some wonderful person to stand up, maybe a movie star, maybe a, maybe, maybe, maybe a musician, somebody to lead the way. No, that's not what happens. Second Kings 7, verse 3, I'm reading from the message. 
It says it happened that four lepers were sitting just outside the city gate. They said to one another, what are we doing sitting here at death's door? If we enter the famine-struck city, we'll die because they're lepers. It's illegal for them to go into town. If we stay here, we'll die too. So let's take our chances in the camp of Aram, the Syrians, and throw ourselves on their mercy. If they receive us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. They said, basically, we might as well go down to the enemy's camp. They've got some food. They got something. Wonder what would happen, because if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go back to our people, we're going to die. They finished the statement with, we've got nothing to lose. Everybody say nothing to lose. When we started this church, I'll tell you the easiest thing about it was we had nothing to lose. The, right after we started, I'll tell you this story in a second. Let's read, let me finish the text. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, a measure. Faith can be measured, not by you, but it's measured by God. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we ask you to breathe on your word. Holy Spirit, would you come and lift up Jesus in our midst and turn the light bulb on inside of our hearts and minds and we can take hold of your promise and purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Four outsiders with nothing to lose can change the world. Four outsiders with nothing to lose can change the world. Um, Pastor Benny Hinn sent us out. We came and started the church May 1st, 1990. As I said, it was a Tuesday night. The following Sunday, we didn't have, we, we didn't have a, a, actually we had services the next Sunday morning down a little warehouse three miles south. We were in a little, little lawnmower shop. There's a warehouse. Had one little portion was air conditioned. The rest was open. We used that for kids' church and put fans everywhere and asked the parents to just dress the kids really cool in shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops. Just let them become really casual. And Pastor Benny, t- uh, we went back down to Orlando the Sunday night, first Sunday night of May, and he sent us out formally and publicly uh, in front of the whole community, the whole 7,000 people in that church. And here we were coming to, we didn't know what, we loved Ocala, my wife grew up here. Uh, we had moved here in 1982 and moved away to go back to go into ministry in 87. So we had five years. I had five years here. Loved the community, but we had no promise of anything. We didn't know if anybody would show up. The first night, exactly 70 people showed up, which I thought was a prophetic number. But the night that Pastor Benny sent us out, he had a guest speaker in in Orlando. And the guest speaker started talking, they started talking about his ministry and they had a need that they, that they were talking about for this ministry. And they're talking about a seed. And my wife and I thought, oh my gosh, we were going to sow 
into our own new work coming, and we had already done a seed the previous week. But we are down, I'll be honest with you, we had our savings account, we had, a, we had $500, maybe $500 and some change in our savings. And the last, our last night there at OCC, it was called back in those days, Orlando Christian Center, I looked at my wife, she looked at me, and the Lord spoke to us to give our last $500. All of our nest egg, all of our emergency fund. We were going, we weren't sure we were gonna have a salary. Nothing had been decided yet. We weren't sure we were gonna have benefits. They kept us on the insurance there for two months to give us some time to find insurance. We didn't know if people would show up. But we knew God said. And the hardest thing, one of the hardest offerings we've ever done is that night, but I said to my wife, well, we got nothing to lose. Here we are, we're walking on water. Pastor Lindsay sang the new song today. We're walking on water now because either God shows up or we're gonna real quick that we're out of the will of God because we have no support. We have no Backup plan. Sometimes God gets you and likes to get you to the place where there's no plan B. Talked last week about getting off the old donkey and getting onto the new colt. I'm telling you, God doesn't want you to be bound to plan B. Because plan B will always be there. If you have this mentality of, well, if this doesn't work out, I've always got that. You know, one time when we were in Orlando studying for ministry, preparing, we, uh, the first cool breezes started to come in October, November, uh, and the kids were young, and, we, and they'd grown so much that we didn't have coats for them. And I remember saying to my wife, well, let's believe God for some new coats for the kids because we, we just need coats. And, uh, and, we, and I said to her, if we don't get them by the time it gets cold, you know, we can see the weather report come. If we don't get them by this Friday when it gets cold, we're going we're gonna to have to go to Sears and use our credit card. Well, I hope you know what happened. We wound up at Sears using our credit card. Why? Because we had plan B. And then we paid for it over time and probably paid double, triple for the coats because we, we were just learning, we were just growing. Sometimes the best place to be in God is at the point of no return, at the point where there's nothing to lose, at the point where you're all in with God or you're all in with God. That's really two choices. Either God shows up or he shows up. Have you ever thought about the evidence of your life? A man of God and his wife, heard the story recently of a man and his wife on a trip, on a mission trip a few years ago to Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon, just a few years ago. As they head into a dangerous area where ISIS had been kidnapping and beheading Christians, they were asked by local officials to fill out forms. The form was titled Proof of Life. And this mighty man of God paused and thought, if something tragic happened and someone had to prove that I lived, 
What would they present? What's the proof of my life? Is it a house mortgage document, a passport, a marriage certificate, a driver's license, or social security number? Suddenly he realized as he was thinking of these things to prove the proof of life, he said to himself, these are actually more a proof of existence. They're not really a proof that you lived. What's the measure of a person's life? What's the measure that you actually lived? Not that you existed. The, 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 the cemetery down here, Forest Lawn, is filled with proof that people existed. But in between that born date and that death date, that little dash in the middle, there's a lot in there or not. What's the proof of life? As Christ followers, we believe in something called destiny or divine purpose. God's purpose is never fulfilled by what you do for yourself alone. It's always about the legacy of what you build or leave or accomplish that benefits other people. That's the measure of your life. In the biblical account of the famine of Israel, the conditions were unimaginable. There was so little food that people that had money, the wealthy of Israel, were paying huge amounts of money to try to find meat when there was no meat. So much so, you can read the scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6, they were eating donkey's heads and boiling it to get meat to have protein to live. That was what the wealthiest people do. They were paying shekels of silver, the Bible says, to eat two things. Donkey's heads. Everybody say yuck. The second thing he said in 2 Kings 6, I'll just, I try to be um, sensitive about it. The King James says dove's dung. I know the commercial used to say everything tastes good when it sits on a Ritz but probably not bird poop. They were eating donkey's heads. Remember I told you last week, what does a donkey speak of? Stubbornness. They were, eating, they were eating the fruit of their stubbornness and they were eating dove droppings to try to stay alive. That was the rich people. If you read it, they were spending shekels of silver. It got worse than that. Say, how could it get worse than that? Toward the end of 2 Kings 6, it tells the story of two women that come to the king for justice, arguing because they had said they'd struck a bargain with each other because there was no food that they would cannibalize their children, that they would eat the next generation to stay alive. And, this, and these two ladies came because one had killed her child and they ate it and then the other lady wouldn't kill her child. You talk about bloodthirsty sickness and yet we're on the verge right now of our own nation sacrificing the future generations on the altar of our own convenience.
People were miserable. They were starving to death. And as I said, desperate people do desperate things. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came through Elisha. A major breakthrough is coming in 24 hours. It's going to turn around. And the, there was an officer, a, a government official, who actually heard Elisha make the prophecy in Jerusalem, in the city. And he said, oh, if donkeys could fly, you know, if pigs fly. He basically said, yeah, it, it, yeah God's going to drop it out of heaven. It's not going to happen. And Elisha looked at that government official and he said this. He said, okay, you're going to witness it with your eyes but you're not going to get to partake of it because you doubted the word of the Lord. I'll tell you at the end what happened. I mean, if you remind me, it's not in my notes, but he, he didn't, that guy didn't finish well, by the way. So who could God use to make a turnaround in 24 hours? The source God used to produce the national breakthrough was crazy. In the cultural order of Israel... Widows and orphans would be at the bottom of the food chain, getting food and being poor. But God would sustain them. The only ones below the widows and orphans in their need were people called lepers. There were colonies of lepers, literal outcasts. If you've never seen leprosy, if you think it's what you saw on Ben-Hur or, you know, uh, some of the movies, the Ten Commandments or whatever, you see lepers... I've seen leprosy in India personally, and it's bizarre. It's a skin condition that, I mean, literally your fingers just start falling off. Your nose, I've seen people without noses in a leper colony in India many years ago. People without ears, people's parts of their face distorted. Say, Pastor, this is the... Worst edification service I've ever had. <laughs> We're going somewhere. I'm just telling you it's real. And it's still today. But these were little outcasts by the law of the Old Testament. They were out of family, out of city, and out of sight. They were considered worthless human beings, but not to God. They were the ultimate outsiders. No dreams, no vision, no hope. I want to give you a couple of thoughts about spiritual breakthrough. A few elements of spiritual breakthrough, in fact. First, stop waiting for someone else to make your life count. Stop waiting for somebody else to validate you and tell you you're important. Because these guys changed the world and nobody told them that. Only God gave a spark, a flash of hope. Quit letting people tell you who you are. There's plenty of people in our world right now who hear one of your feelings and they want to tell you their interpretation of who you are based on you felt something one day. Oh, that makes you this. Paul Scanlon said recently, uh, labels are for jars of food, not for people. There's a lot of people ready to define you. You've got to take action. It's a mistake to build your identity out of human validation. God is ready to validate you himself. The four lepers were starving to death when behold, a bright idea, 
a revelation. The veil opens and they're sitting there and saying, why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we existing? Why are we just going through the motions existing? Why are we just trying? Why are we, why are we sitting here masked up? And if you still mask up, that's great. Why are we sitting here just going through what everybody else is telling us when God is alive? I'm not saying don't be careful. I'm just saying have some sense in coming out of this crisis. And don't be afraid. Why sit here and die? Why don't we try something risky? If you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. So the idea is this. Let's walk. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk down to where the enemy is. They hate Israel, but hey, we're going to die anyway. Might as well move forward. Remember we said last week? Go to what's ahead of you. Move forward. They get this idea. Let's just keep moving. Something may happen. Secondly, this, God takes your small steps and amplifies them. I love that word amplifies. What does it mean? It means you can take a small sound, but you put it on a microphone and you can hear it. Amplification. God delights in taking our small steps of faith and causing them to have reverberations in the realm of the Spirit. As these guys walked, the Bible says that the Syrian army heard the sound of four men walking as if an invading army was coming against them. They heard four guys walking through the woods or walking down the road and they thought it was mercenary armies working for Israel. They became convinced of it, and they became so afraid, they fled on foot, leaving all their stuff. And the Bible says they left their gold, they left their silver, they left their food. Now, let me tell you, gold and silver weren't worth much at this moment, but food was worth everything. And so look what happens. Let me read to you from the verse 6 from the message. The master, God, had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses and a mighty army on the march because of four people. They told one another, the king of Israel hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. Panicked, they ran for their lives through the darkness, abandoning tents, horses, donkeys, the whole camp just as it was, running for dear life. These four lepers entered the camp and went into a tent. First, they ate and drank. Duh! They happened on a banquet and they hadn't any food for weeks. So they pigged out. The Bible doesn't say it, but I know they found ribs there. Doesn't say it. They had to be beef ribs because pig ribs weren't kosher, but at this moment they probably would have eaten bacon. When you're starving, if you'll eat a donkey's head, I don't think the donkey's head was kosher either. In one of the most impoverished times in Israeli history, 
These four lepers suddenly became abundant. They went from famine to feast instantly. And these guys became the richest men in their, in their own country in an instant. Four lepers outside the city. Nobody liked them. They were the outcasts. And now they've got all this abundance. I like the word, have you ever heard the word maverick? I'm, I'm getting excited about, uh, one of the things that, that bothers me about the, the, all the movie theaters being down is I've been waiting 35 years for Top Gun 2. Those of you, there were many of you that weren't alive when Top Gun came out, but it was seriously a great moment in my life when Top Gun came out. And Tom Cruise plays Maverick. I submit to you that God transforms misfits into Mavericks. In those who, those who people view as outcasts, the Lord often forms the potential to become heroes. As we celebrate our 31st anniversary as a local church, I'm so thankful for the many people and families who have come through these doors and experienced the presence of God and the word of God. I like the word maverick because it doesn't mean rebel. It means unorthodox, unconventional, trendsetter. It's after Samuel Maverick, a Texas rancher and politician in the 1800s who refused to brand his cattle and said that any unbranded cattle was his. He was a maverick. And the mavericks were unbranded cattle, which were not part of the herd. Right now we live in a herd mentality. Thank God for mavericks. Can you say amen? Our God can utilize anybody who surrenders to him. Next. What you activate must be shared with others. The scripture says that the first reaction of these lepers was all about themselves. It was all about consumption. I'm hungry. Give me food, give me food, give me food. Well, I mean, you know, if you've been starving for a while, it doesn't take long to feel pretty full or sick of food. And they're just devouring and all of a sudden, and the Bible actually said, let me read it to you from verse 8 and 9 from the message. These four lepers entered the camp, went into a tent, first ate and drank. Then they grabbed silver, gold, and clothing and went off and hid it. They came back, entered another tent, looted it, again, hiding their plunder. Finally, they said to one another, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news. And we're making it into a private party. If we wait around until morning, we're going to get caught and punished anyway. Come on, let's go tell the news to the king's palace. In other words, this isn't just for us. There's so much stuff here. There's enough for everybody. We can save the country. Now, they did think of self-preservation. If, we, if they find out that we've had all this food and silver and gold and clothing, and we haven't shared it, they're going to kill us anyway. Now we got something to live for. The only way to keep what you have is to share it. You hang on to it, you're in trouble anyway. There's no such thing as a selfish hero. 
God's breakthrough is always more than enough to spread the love around. These four lepers saved their nation and fulfilled the word of the Lord. Now, what happened to the officer on whose hand the king leaned is what they call him in the Bible, the government official that doubted? The Bible says when they, when the people went, the scouts went from the king's palace and found out it was true and started bringing all the food back, there was a riot. And that guy got trampled and died. He saw the fulfillment of the word that he doubted, but he didn't get to enjoy it just as Elisha had prophesied. Why? Because everything that happens good in our lives happens by faith. You can't doubt God's ability. God can do anything, but he loves to utilize ordinary people like us to do great things. What's our takeaway? The measure of a person's life is what kind of difference did they make in the lives of others? What did they leave? Remember we talked a, a, a long time ago about the four seasons of life, Zig Ziglar used to talk about people are either stuck in survival mode or they're in stability mode or in their success mode. They said there's something beyond success that most people don't understand, and that's significance. Success is <clears throat> finding all the wealth and starting to hide it in your tent and store it up for you but it never leads to significance. You are created, my friends, for significance. You were not born by God for a destiny of survival, although that's the best you can do in some seasons. <clears throat> you weren't born for stability. That's existence. You weren't even born for success because that's consumption upon yourself. You were born for significance which never takes place until you get a bigger thought and a bigger vision and say, wait a minute, this is a day of good news. What we've been entrusted by God must be shared. The moment you begin to focus outwardly again is the moment you become a hero. The moment your life changes. What and who did you live for? How did you use every blessing and resource to expand God's kingdom? What was your measure? Who did you reach in this lifetime? Who did you help? Who did you empower? Just use it for yourself. It took all four people walking together in unity to change the world. If three of them would have gone on and one said, I don't want to go. We don't know if he would have even lived. The Bible says where two shall agree on earth as touching anything they ask, it shall be done by our Father which is in heaven. We're calling you today and this whole month to get out of the bleachers and get in the game. We're calling you this whole month <clears throat> to quit relying on everybody else's good graces. Everybody else is going to take care of the children's ministry. Everybody else is going to take care of ushering. Everybody else is going to take care of singing and, and the musicians. Oh yeah, I could never be good enough. How do you know that? 
Quit existing. Quit consuming. And then wondering why you keep coming up empty on the inside. Life is about service. It's about serving God by serving other people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, we count it a privilege and a joy to experience you. That you love us and define us. And you can take the those who feel insignificant in this world and you can cause them to become significant by their obedience to you. Holy Spirit, draw people to yourself in and through this place. Draw people to you. We call people today to quit existing. Help us to live. Truly live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.